We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Chargers fans, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler, and joining me as always are Jason and Steven. Guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, because you can't go to the gym, how fat are you guys getting? <laughs> like, uh, I'll, I'll say uh, 5. Yeah, like a, like a 5 or 6, maybe. I think I'm at a 9. So 9? Well, that. it's like it depends on like where you started, right? And it's just like... I don't know. I feel like yeah. I'm okay. Well, I started at an eight, and now I'm at a nine. So we there. we had our groceries delivered the other day, and the person actually gave accidentally gave us mega stuff Oreos instead of regular Oreos. <laughs> oh man! So that's gonna be fun. How how you snuck it? You ordered that on purpose. Steven's no, like, how, how dare you give me these? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, today we're going over Jason and Steven's big board. They're top 10, and then five guys that they're higher on, and then five players that they're lower on. But before we get into their big boards, we have a really great guest interview with a guy you know, Chargers punter Ty Long. Take a listen. All right, Chargers fans, we're really excited to be here today. I'm really happy to be joined by Chargers punter Ty Long. Uh, how you doing, Ty? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. We're really happy to have you on and grateful that you could take the time to be here with us. Uh, so first and foremost, you know, we just want to wish you and your family well. I know this time is uh, uh, really crazy with the coronavirus and hopefully it's not treating you too bad. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, just like everybody, we're all just sort of hoping for this thing to get figured out so we can move on with our lives. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions on what's going on with how bad it actually is. And, um, 
when the season's going to get started and so on and so forth. You know, they haven't really told us every anything, so we're sort of just left wondering what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, as far as, you know, I think in general, people don't really understand what um, what the role of a specialist is. I think, you know, we expect you guys to come out and just perform. You know, everybody always says you only have one job, but, you know, that doesn't really take in the whole context of what you guys have to do and what the kind of preparation you guys are doing. So how does this coronavirus situation, how does the lockdown situation affect your preparation, your training as a specialist, as a punter? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the gym, um, we're all training at when I say we're all, so there's me, um, and about eight, nine other pro punters who play in the NFL and CFL. We all live in Birmingham and train together. And, um, it's, it's been tough because, you know, there's a gym we all train at. We've been going at every day, Monday through Friday, nine 30, uh, that now we can't go to. So it's been a lot of band workouts and trying to improvise to make workouts and, um, sort of lifting whatever we can. And then kicking wise, you know, normally this time of year we're punting, kicking two, three times a week. And it's tough because we're getting kicked off every field we go to, you know? So, um, yeah, there is just, there's a lot of moving pieces and, um, it's just tough because those, the people who are kicking us off are doing their job, but, then again, our argument is like, hey, this is what we do for our job, you know? So we're trying to be out there yeah. working. Yeah, for sure. So just kind of like walk us through when you, you know, you get the snapback there, what kind of things are you looking for as a punter? Um, do you have any like special reads that you go through before you can obviously, you know, let the ball fly? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, before pre-snap is sort of when I'm looking to see what, uh, what they're doing to see if they're moving around so I can tell if they're rushing or not. And, um, to know if I need to get it off a little quicker than normal. But, um, usually once the ball snap, you, you don't really see it, but you'll feel the pressure. You'll feel the people around you. So, um, you know, but then again, you sort of do your homework and know what, what teams are sort of bringing it at certain looks. And, um, so you sort of have an idea, but at the end of the day, it's when you, when you see they're coming, you just try to, you know, be a little quicker than normal and get it out and do your job. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, like I said, you know, I don't think people really understand what goes on uh, in the mind of a punter. So that's really interesting to, to yeah. kind of hear what you're looking for pre-snap. Def, definitely um, more than just kicking it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like in general, it's just like, you know, you see the punter, you see the kicker and it's just like, okay, well, he shanked it. Okay, he did a really good job. So, yeah. you know, just like everything, there's context to whatever you're doing and whatever you're looking for. Just like every job, there's a lot more to it than people think. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so obviously you haven't had a super traditional path to the NFL. You know, you went to the CFL. Um, every so often we'll see some highlights from the CFL, but what's playing in the CFL like? I loved it. I mean, um, you know, a lot of people ask me um, that throughout the year. And um, a lot of people, I don't actually think they expected the answer is for me, it was the Playing from the CFL to the NFL is the exact same. Speed was the same. Everything was the same, you know, because I'm a firm believer in outside of the 1% of the guys in the NFL, you know, I'm talking about the Aaron Rodgers and the, the elite of the elite. Yeah. It's the speed's the same. You know what I mean? So um, for me playing up there in Canada, 
was what helped me turn me into the turn me into a professional as in what i mean is like teach me how to be a pro there's more than just you know playing in the league it's um people play in the league because they know how to they know how to uh work the business they know how to um you know do their job the best every every day so there's things that come with that and you know playing in the cfl sort of taught me how to figure out my program my rhythm my um the things I need to do on a daily basis for me to be successful. And um, I loved it up there. You know, I owe my career to the CFL and uh, it's a great league that I think if um, a lot of people actually um, watch it when it comes on, they'd actually be really surprised of how good the football really is. You know, sometimes in um, in the States, we sort of uh, close ourselves off to what we have here and everything else is not as important, you know, but the CFL is a really fun league to watch and, um, they got a great, a lot of great players out there. So I, I love the league and it helped me out and it's got me to where I am today. So in the CFL, did you have to do punter, kicker and kickoffs like you did at the start of the season with the chargers? Yeah. Yeah. So I did all three, um, up there. And, um, so it, you know, that was when me and, um, uh, Mr. Telesco, when we were talking, you know, before, uh, the season, he was just like, look, when he asked me to do it on when yeah, it was like that Friday before the game, um, when Badgley was hurt, he was just like, Look, you've done it before, so we got all the faith in the world in you. So yeah, it was cool. And for me, um, it was it was fun to do it, you know, especially be one of the first guys to do that in a long time in the league. So it was cool. Yeah, you know, I have to I have to say, like having someone that can do all three, that's so valuable from a team building perspective because because you have that reliability of having you back there that can always do all three. Yeah, exactly. And um, just, just adds a little, it's always the more you can do. Yeah. Got to make yourself more valuable for sure. So have you, did you do all three in college as well? No, I, um, we had a really good punter in college and um, he was my holder and my roommate, one of my best friends. So um, the opportunity, I punted one game in college, the LSU game, my junior year. Um, But other than that, I just kicked and kicked off always worked on punting, always did it, you know, before games, before practices. But uh, yeah, never, never really did it in college except for like four or five times. That's pretty cool, man. Mm -hmm. I have to say that, you know, just having that uh, three tool athlete, so to speak, would be, is really awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a lot of work. I mean, uh, like today, my, my little brother's here training with me and it's like little things we try to do is, you know, do a, it's about almost a mile where it drops every single day, you know, just try to, walk around where we live and just do drops, you know, because that's, you know, just trying to stay consistent, work on the little things that help you be better. Is he a, is he a specialist too? Yeah. He's a, he's a junior in high school, rising senior. And um, yeah, he's a, he's a kicker too. He's getting looked at by some D one schools also. Very cool. Yeah. Must run in the family then. <laughs> yep. Well, sounds good. Um, as far as the chargers go, you know, you guys have lost uh, Derek Watt, Adrian Phillips, Jeremy Davis on special teams this year. What kind of impact does that kind of mobility have on you and on Badgley as specialist? Yeah, I mean, we lost some pieces. You know, uh, me and um, I mean, I've been talking to some of those guys and told them I'm going to miss them, you know, because you, you get comfortable around those guys and you can rely on them. You know, it's when you have a bunch of new pieces, you know, it, it takes, you know, that, that time being under the, being under the fire, knowing that those guys in front of you are going to hold up. And, uh, obviously with Watt, um, G and, uh, um, who else, um, AP, a bunch of those guys that we lost, I mean, who were first off really good dudes, but great players that, 
are going to go help other teams now. It's, it's tough. So we're going to have to find guys to replace them and um, to, to be the best we can. And, you know, and uh, I'm sure St- I know Stu and uh, uh, Tom will find it and get it, uh, get it all worked out. Yeah, I, you know, I think the Chargers have a uh, really good knack for finding those special teams guys. I mean, Derek didn't really play special teams very much at all until this past season. And then, you know, he ended up tying in the league for most tackles on special teams, which was really cool to watch. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a stud. <laughs> so as far as uh, the coronavirus and passing time, obviously you can't train 24-7. So how are you able to, like, what kind of things are you doing to pass the time to keep yourself busy? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, a lot of Xbox, uh, <laughs> but I try not to do that too much during the day. It's funny, me and uh, me and my wife were talking about it the other day um, that we had bad weather before all this, and then all this hits, and now I don't know, but I, I know it's good weather in LA. But um, out here, we haven't had a day under sixty-five degrees with perfect. You know, it's perfect every single day. So it's tough, definitely sitting inside all day. So um, there's actually a golf course right next to us that uh, we were able to go to. And we, we play there probably two, three times a week right now to help pass time. So I'll definitely be there later today. So what, what kind of games are you playing on Xbox? Uh, Madden. I'm not that good, but I'm playing. I'm, I've had a lot, of, a lot of people hit me up in the DMs uh, wanting to play. So I'm trying to play as many people as I can online throughout this time. Um, play Call of Duty. I've got 2K. So I, usually those are the three I'm playing um, right now, Call of Duty, Madden, and 2K. So do you think that you would be able to ha- have a chance to compete with Derwin as, as far as Madden goes? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. That was um, – I saw my – someone sent me that today in my Twitter DMs, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. He was crushing dudes. It was really, it was really funny to watch. I wouldn't last a quarter with him. <laughs> yeah, that that was really interesting. So that I mean, I'm glad that you're keeping busy. The golf thing must be must be a good way to keep your mind off of things. Um, obviously, we're rooting for you this upcoming season. Hopefully, the the pandemic ends relatively soon, and you guys can get back to back to LA and and get back to work. Yeah, we're excited. We're hoping. You know, I mean, um. I miss it, ready to get back, you know, but at the end of the day, the safety of everyone and the the fans and the players is the priority. And if, you know, whatever needs to be done, needs to be done. And that's the most important thing because, um, you know, it, it would be tough if we played, I don't know how we would play games, you know, with without fans, you know, I don't know what their even thought process is or what we're going to do, you know, so hopefully we can get everything figured out and, and uh, get back to playing on time. Yeah, very well said. And I will say, I think like baseball and basketball, I think they could probably survive a little better without fans. But I think football mm-hmm. without fans would be just really eerie and weird. Yeah, you know, because the home field advantage. Like when we like when you go to these these places like Denver and KC, you know, that one of their advantages is the fans. You know, and um, and uh, so um, yeah, it'd be very weird. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like. Cause no one said that. I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking of every way we could get out there, you know? And um, I was just like, God, that'd be really strange if we were out there with no fans, you know, it'd be really weird. Well, uh, Ty, thanks for joining us today. We're rooting for you whenever football season does get back. And uh, first and foremost, we hope you and your family stay safe, stay healthy. Hey, appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Same to you, brother. And uh, stay safe, man. Yes. Thank you very much. 
we love time long. Tight long, long time. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get into this big board. For those listening, you can access the big board by signing up on our Patreon or upping your pledge to $10 a month. At that tier, you also get access to all of our Patreon-only video breakdowns, our Patreon Q&A, and a double entry in our monthly giveaways. All right, you guys have a top 10, but let's start at one just because they're pretty similar. Jason, Steven, I actually have yet to hear you talk about this guy, so who is it? Uh, number one is Chase Young. Uh, I don't think anybody else should be number one on anyone's boards. It's not particularly um, close for either no, of us. Like I, I, I hate saying it's not close and like he's far and away the best, but honestly, like as as in terms of a pro prospect, he's the best defensive end pro prospect we've seen in a while. I think he's a better prospect than either Bosa brother. Um, it's just an insane combination of size, speed, versatility, technique, and production. Like the guy was suspended for two games and had 17 sacks. So, uh, in college, which in, and he's in the big 10 where they have huge defense, they have huge offensive tackles. So, um, it's just like an insane talented player. I gave him a 77, Jason gave him a 78 and honestly I could have given him an 80 and I would have been okay with it. Yeah, Steven told me at some point after we scouted Chase Young that he was just, I was so tempted to give him an 80. And I was like, yeah. yeah, that's how I felt. I mean, I gave him a 78, so that's about as close as I can get without it being Superman on the football field. So Chase Young was an absolute dominant player. I mean, when you talk about explosiveness off the snap, like... I know Troy Polamalu wasn't an edge rusher, but that's kind of what it reminded me of was Troy Polamalu just off the snap, just going. Um, and Chase Young would just like, it's not only his explosiveness, but his counter, like his arsenal of counter moves. Yeah. It was just like, there was something different every single play. And every single time it was something different, it was so athletic looking like he could do a bull rush and you're like, wow, that looked fast. And normally when bull rush, you say that looks powerful, but it was just like, that looks he he would push that guy back so fast that it was just he made it look like a a rush move like a like a like a finesse or an agile accomplishment and to to blend that combination of strength and speed together and then put it into a smart player that has that arsenal at his disposal is just unreal and i know some people have said he disappeared against Clemson and that he had games where he just like would disappear. Bull. Stop. No. It's just he would have triple teams. All right. Yeah. Triple teams. They would triple team him with the tight end, the right tackle, and the running back, sometimes with the guard too. And he would just steamroll them. Like yeah. I've never seen anything like it. Derek Brown doesn't even do that, where he would just like run them over. Like, like. It was like, have you seen that video where the kid has like the toy car and he runs over his brother or whatever? Yes. Yeah, that's what it looks like. And yeah. um, unreal player. I just, I, to get an 80, you need to be insane, like not real, to like create a player on Madden. Chase Young's about as close as you can get. Yeah, most, most defensive ends, most edge rushers in college, they're either a speed rusher or a bull rusher, and then they'll have one counter. Like, you'll see AJ Epinesa is just, like, he bull rushes, and then he'll do one counter. Or Caleb on Chason is a speed rusher, and he'll do one counter. Chase Young is a speed rusher, a bull rusher, and he has, like, four or five counters. 
He's technically refined. He is an explosive athlete. He's super strong. He's fast. Like, if he had ran at the combine, I wouldn't have been surprised if he had done, like, a 4-4 because he's just such a good athlete. Um, So, number two for me, kind of moving on, is going to be Jeff Okuda, um, the cornerback out of Ohio State. And then I have Isaiah Simmons at three. Um, To me, those three, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, and Isaiah Simmons, are really the big three of the draft. They are clearly the best three players in the draft, and I think – you know, I have Okuda at a 73 and Simmons at a 72. They're really, really close. Um, both are going to be generational defensive players, kind of similar to Doran James, where you're going to pick them and you're going to be set on defense at that position for the next decade plus. Um, I could have flip-flopped them, honestly. It's really just a, a big toss-up as, as far as grade goes. Um, but that's the top three, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Isaiah Simmons. So yeah, it's it's very similar for me. The only difference is I flipped Okuda and Simmons. Simmons has a 71 for me, and Okuda has a 70. And um, I graded Simmons as a safety. So that's a key thing there. As a linebacker, I would give Simmons like a 67. So still a really good player. But um, as a safety, Simmons is just one of those like Cam Chancellor, Derwin James types players where it's just, it changes the football field. And I don't think he would change the football field as a linebacker. I just, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't change the game at linebacker. He would change the game at safety. And um, that's kind of why I've been back and forth on him to the Chargers because the Chargers already have that that role filled and depending on what happens with Desmond King. But you take Isaiah Simmons and you figure it out. You know, you just don't overthink it. If you have the opportunity to have him on your football team, I feel like you should take that opportunity. Um, obviously the chargers are in a special spot where they need a quarterback. So it's tough to tell right now. And there's going to be a lot of hindsight to that. Well, they should have took Simmons or they should have took Herbert or they should have took Tua, or they should have took it. It's, it's just tough to tell right now. You just got to go with who you believe in the most, you know? And, um, out of anybody that may or may not be available at that pick, I think Simmons is probably the guy I believe in the most that can be like a hall of fame type player. Um, assuming Chase Young is not there. And if Chase Young is there, five people will be fired. (laughs) Um, As for Okuda, it's just you're talking about the most fluid corner since Darrell Rivas maybe. He's just unreal, Um, very technically refined. He does not make mistakes. The only knock against him is that quarterbacks didn't throw at him. So the, the production wasn't the highest, but man you want to talk about fluid hips and somebody who could just like there was a play where the receiver ran a double move and okuda quote-unquote bit so he turned his hips inside and the receiver then moved back outside which at that point the receiver generally has the corner dead to rights because once you get a corner's hips turned inside generally it's done the receiver has won okuda flipped him back in like a heartbeat like it was nothing and mm-hmm. broke up the pass i just uh, what how yeah. do you so i mean y- you won't go wrong either way with any of these two guys so and then um you know if it's 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 a tough spot to be with the chargers right now because the three best players in the draft are defense and none of those three might be there but if one does go 
and make it to six. Say Isaiah Simmons or Jeff Okuda is there at six. You have the opportunity to A, improve the linebacking core in a way that it has not been in a long, long time for the Chargers. Or B, you take a corner and create the best secondary in the NFL. So, man, that's a tough spot. Or do you go quarterback and pass up on A or B? You know, C, you get your quarterback that may or may not work out. Because I don't think any of the quarterbacks are on the level of those two of those two guys. So, man, that's a tough spot. It really is a tough spot. And just kind of touching on your point of Jeffrey Okuda and his comparisons, like, you know, a lot of people have compared him all the way back. Well, not necessarily compared him, but um, brought up Jalen Ramsey as far as how he would rank in this in this conversation. Personally, I think Ramsey's a little bit overrated. I really like him as a corner, but I think he's more of a natural athlete than Okuda is, whereas Okuda is just an amazing technician and a very, very good athlete. So I think that's the only distinction I would make as, as far as, you know, where does Okuda rank in the last 10, 15 years is I think he's the best technically sound wise corner we've seen since Darrell Rivas. Okuda is going to be around a long time, kind of like Chris Harris or Richard Sherman in the sense that when he runs out of it athletically, he's going to be playing in like the slot or at safety. He's going to stick around because he's a really smart and technical player. Yeah, totally. So moving on from the top three, you know, this is kind of where you'll see the toss ups. I think even if you go to Jordan Reed's big board or, Daniel Jeremiah's big board. I think the, those three are, are generally the same three. Um, but then you have to take in to consideration positional value here. And what is the big board? Because like for me, I have Tua Tonga graded as a 72. He is my new quarterback one, which I have amended. I've said I've all in on Tua. So I have changed into my quarterback one. Um, but it's different grading a quarterback versus an overall player like this, like Chase Young. Um, so I gave Tua a 70, but you know, that positional value is a little bit inflated there because it's, you know, there are much bigger characteristics that you're looking at as a quarterback. Um, so filling out my top five, I have Chase Young one, Akuda two, Simmons three, and then I have Jedrick Wills, the first off- offensive tackle at four, Tua five, Derek Brown six, Tristan Wirth seven, Javon Kinlaw eight, Joe Burrow nine, and Jerry Judy ten. So I think, uh, you know, I I don't want to say I didn't take any risks grading these players because I feel like I did, you know, putting two of that high and grading Jedrick Wills as high as I did. Um, but I think Jerry Judy is probably the only surprise in my top 10. I don't want to, I don't want to give my top 10. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> Do it. Um, All right, so I'll start with the first ones I got, which is Chase Young, Isaiah Simmons, Jeff Okuda, in that order of one through three. Four is where we immediately get into a territory where, listen, just because this player is here does not mean I would take him with the fourth pick by any means. I'm just saying his talent level is up there, and you got to factor in positional value. You got to factor in that you grade different positions differently. And so this is going by our grades. This isn't necessarily like who we would take, like where. And it's going to be Denzel Mims at four. And Denzel Mims, it's just, he was already my wide receiver two before the combine. Um, And then I did not know he was going to put up those numbers at the combine. 
at all. I had no clue. I thought he was going to run maybe like a four four nine at the fastest. The fact that he went in, what was it, a four three eight or a four three nine? One of the two. Ridiculous, man. Unreal. And you know, when you're talking about an athlete like that, you know, if you're going to get hyped on Simmons because he ran a four three nine, everybody's going, "Oh man, Simmons is so good. He's so much better than I thought he would be." Where's the same hype for Denzel Mims? You know, because yeah. he's. He's Absolutely. up there. We're talking Isaiah Simmons is 6'4", 230. Denzel Mims is 6'3", 205. And both of these guys are running 4'3", 8s at the Combine. Ridiculous, man. These guys are getting fast. But it's more than just Combine numbers with Denzel Mims. You know, you watch him. He, you know, he's a very smart player, very competitive player. He knows how to use his frame very well. Um, his short area quickness is better than I think people give him credit for. I think he's a very explosive player. And I think he does have some nuance to his route running to where it's not a huge question mark for me. You know, with DK Metcalf, I had a couple question marks. And that's not comparing DK Metcalf to Denzel Mims by any means because I think they're entirely different players with entirely different styles. I think uh, Metcalf is more of a deep threat. I think Mims is more of a, you know, work the uh, 10 to 15 yards intermediate area and just dominate there. Um, but Mims, he had amazing wingspan. And I think he's really going to dominate if he finds the right team. Um, up next is a little more real. And a player I think is almost slept on at this point. It's Andrew Thomas at five. And, you know, I think people have kind of overthought this a little bit to where I think Andrew Thomas is the best offensive lineman in this draft. And I felt that way last year. And then um, you saw that kind of dip. You know, I think like people who are kind of bored, they found like they knew he was good already. Yeah. So then it became like Tristan Wirfs and people like that. And Andrew Thomas is still the most technically refined. He's the most mobile. And I think he's the smartest tackle in this class. Um, maybe not the highest ceiling. Like when he's talking about ceilings, you got Tristan Wirfs, who is insanely quick for an offensive tackle. You got Jedrick Wills, who is just powerful. And then you got Makai Becton, who just... You know, it's a brick wall. You put him on the field and you've automatically got just this this range like of a wall to your left side that it's going to take a while to get around him. So in terms of potential, Andrew Thomas might not be there, but day one, he's a starter and he's your franchise left tackle for the next 10, 12 years, guaranteed. With Mekhi Becton, you have some question marks of eh, maybe, maybe he can, maybe he can't. Andrew Thomas, there's no question there. I know for a fact he's going to step onto the field and be a dominant left tackle. Um, up next, I got Jerry Judy, so still not a huge surprise. Jerry Judy is just a terrific route runner, really. He's very fast feet. I don't think his combine numbers did him justice at all. Um, but at the same time, those speed is not really Judy's strength at all. It's just fast feet. And, you know, uh, a... A three cone, even though, you know, it was a slower time, you still saw those feet and in display, right? And um, Judy just has an, an amazing ability to have, like, eyes in the back of his head when there's a tackler coming to just stop. <laughs> uh, to just stop and that defender will go by. And, um, you know, you talk about somebody who can just make plays for you, you know, throw him a quick screen and make a, get 10 yards, uh, no receiver can do that in this class other than Jerry Judy. And Judy's going to come into the NFL, and he might take a second, you know, might take a, a little, a little, a, people are, they have high expectations for this receiver class. Everybody expects, 
Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb to come in day one and make a huge impact. It might take a little longer than you think because yeah. receiver still is – it's getting better. It's become more of a seamless transition, but it still takes a second, you know. But I do really like Jerry Judy. I think he has insanely fast feet. And you work him on those inside routes and let him just freestyle it like Stevie Johnson, and you'll you'll have a really good receiver on your hands. That's actually a really good comparison for Jerry Judy. I really like that comparison. Up next is another receiver and another kind of wacky one that ever somebody might yell at me about is Van Jefferson out of Florida. Now, the only reason Van Jefferson is not a first-round guy, I think, is because he's going to be 24 as a rookie, right? But so is Joe Burrow. But, you know, it's an entirely different position, and Joe Burrow put up some insane numbers. Um, but Van Jefferson, guys, Keenan Allen clone. I'm, I mean... I know you want to say that about route runners when they're coming out of college. Like, oh, that guy can run routes. That looks like Keenan Allen. No, everything about this guy reminds me of Keenan Allen. You want to talk about catch radius. You talk about how his releases off the line of scrimmage and the fact that he even like points for a first down in the same way. You know, he does that little like two finger the point. Two finger point. Yeah. And it's just completely Keenan Allen. Everything about him. It's so interesting to me to watch him. If you made it black and white, as a side-by-side comparison of him and Keenan Allen running a slant route, I dare you to decide which one Keenan Allen is. I just go for it. I'll, I might even post one on Twitter this week. I might post a side-by-side of um, Keenan Allen yeah, and Van Jefferson running a slant route. We'll see if how many people get it right. I'm sure, you know, it's Chargers fan, so I'm sure a lot of people will get it right, but we'll see if I can confuse anybody. Up next, we have Xavier McKinney out of Alabama, a very good range safety. I don't think this one's too far off. I like McKinney a lot. The only reason you don't see him a little higher on some draft boards is because he plays a, a little bit less important of a position on the back end to have free safety. Um, well, he mixes between strong safety and free safety a lot. So um, very versatile player, player. I think he could play nickel corner as well. So I think there's a lot of value here when you take Xavier McKinney. I think you're getting somebody where no matter what defense you're running, he can play somewhere, whether it's nickel corner, whether it's free safety, whether it's an in-the-box safety, a sub-linebacker, you can move him anywhere you want. He's a real like a Swiss Army knife. So really like McKinney. I don't think he's getting enough attention, and I think he'll be taken higher than people think with the hype of Jamal Adams and Derwin James and Isaiah Simmons. You're gonna, I think you're going to see McKinney taken a little bit higher than you think. Yeah, he's very uh, Minka Fitzpatrick-esque, too. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's very similar to, to that kind of player, what uh, Minka was able to do at Alabama and for uh, the Steelers and the Dolphins. Yeah, not so much like a big hitter, but like Minka, he's just a very versatile player. Um, up next, Grant Delpit. Now, tackling did hold him back a lot. Like, he would have been an a lot better player on my board if he could tackle, but he sucks yeah. at tackling, like, really <laughs> bad. Like, uh, who were we talking about? C.J. Henderson, who's just an awful tackler at corner. So when you talk uh, about a safety being as bad as that, that's Grant Delpit. Oh, but wow. when you talk about – he's a very aware player, though. He's a very smart, aware player. Um, and if he could just get some confidence, I feel like, against the run, like as a run support guy, get some confidence going, I feel like he could be such a better player. I, really. And all it's going to take for him is one season, you know, maybe like one big hit where he just knocks somebody on their back and he's going to go from there like that. 
just get that confidence up and he'll be good. Uh, needs a little technical refinement. I love Grant Delbit. And then lastly here, we have Derek Brown out of Auburn. I am not as high on Derek Brown as a lot of people are, but he's a good freaking player, like really good. And yeah. um, I've seen some pretty absurd comps for him, like Aaron Donald. Don't do this. Oh, no, no, no. Don't do this. It's He's not Aaron no. Donald, not even close. Um, that's why I hate – this is kind of a sign up, but that's why I kind of hate making comparisons because – like you, like a lot of people have said, like, oh, two reminds them of Drew Brees. But like, Drew Brees is one of the best players in NFL history. Like, can we not do this? Can we just, you know, give him like a decent comparison and not say one of the best players of all time or Derek Brown to Aaron Donald? Like, I just, I just kind of hate comparisons like that. Like I said today on Twitter that the Bears took Herbert a couple years ago when they <laughs> took Trubisky, and. uh instead of taking the high ceiling guy and everybody immediately assumed I was comparing love to Mahomes, I was like, I said no such thing. I just said they did a similar situation to where they took a, a safe floor guy and passed on the high ceiling guy and look where they are now. Um, yeah. So it not all, I'm not trying to compare anybody to anybody insane. All right. No rookies are being compared to some insane hall of fame type guy. Uh, which it's insane that we already consider Mahomes that kind of player. So that's my top 10. You can, you at Centauri 13 on Twitter, I'll be ready. (laughs) How do you have a guy that sucks at tackling in your top 10? (laughs) Um, Because he legit is maybe the best coverage safety in the last like 10 years. Like he's a really good cover safety. You put him at free safety and you're talking about like no passes getting over him. He's, just he's got unreal. great range yeah he could go sideline to sideline you're talking nasir adderley's range with derwin james's size like almost um he's 6'3 200 pounds and he can't tackle which is so sad um but he does have the ability to really just lay a guy out like just absolutely he can bring the boom but it's just confidence with him and i think that confidence it can get fixed real quick it all it takes is one play sometimes and that guy can you know, because he didn't have the same issues two years ago. It kind of surfaced last year to where it became a problem. But two years ago, it wasn't a really big problem. Like, it was like you can tell there was some inconsistencies there, but not anywhere near on the level it was this year. So I think it'll, I think it'll fix itself out. I think it'll be okay with him. Interesting. So was he not confident in the sense that he wouldn't go make the hit or he wouldn't make a decision? Uh, I think it was the decision. I think he was a little hesitant okay. to do so. And I think, um, I think he relied a little too much on his athleticism and took bad pursuit angles at times. So it's just going to be interesting. I think coach him up a little bit. I think a team like the Niners would be so perfect for him where he'd have a guy like Richard Sherman there to like mentor him a bit. Or um, I know it's not going to happen, but the Chargers where you got the Derwin James and the Casey Hayward there that can mentor him up a little bit. Uh, Just Mm -hmm. don't put him somewhere that has a crappy secondary because then it won't be pretty. It'll never get fixed. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. So I did want to talk about uh, Van Jefferson a little bit more. Um, I liked, I like Van as well. Obviously not as much as uh, Jason does because I don't have him in my top 10. Um, but, you know, there's this notion that Van Jefferson wouldn't be a fit in L.A. because he's a slot guy, and I just don't agree with that statement at all. Um, I think if you take a guy like Van, then you have a lot of versatility with him and with Keenan Allen of potentially putting one of them outside and one inside. Mm-hmm. And Van is fast. He's not like an insanely burner type speed with like Henry Ruggs or something. 
But Keenan he Allen is, is a Keenan Allen is an outside receiver, and he's not as fast as Van Jefferson. Like Keenan yeah. Allen plays outside sometimes. Van Jefferson is probably like a full like point two, maybe seconds faster than Keenan Allen, to where it's like not point two, but like point zero two. <laughs> I'm not talking like a four two guy. I'm talking about like what Keenan Allen run like a four six four seven. I think I think Van Jefferson is like a four four eight guy. Yeah, that's what I've seen on on film as well. So I think the fit with Van Jefferson would be would be good enough where I would be comfortable with it. So one thing I just wanted to ask about or have you talk about, Jason, because I think looking at this big board is a lot different than just hearing you talk about this player. I'm sure you know who I'm going to ask you about. Can you talk about where you have Jordan Love and then how that kind of shapes how you feel about the whole, the quarterback as, class as a whole, really? So, yeah, Jordan Love is my highest graded quarterback at 62, and he's number 26 on my board. So I talked about this a second ago. Well, not a second ago, about a couple minutes ago. Just positional value. You know, just because Van Jefferson is so high on my board does not mean I'm going to take him that early. Same with Denzel Mims. And I would consider Jordan Love in the top five. So it's all about positional value. And if you... Quarterback is always going to command that. They're always going to have a lead there, a huge Mm -hmm. lead, where it's going to be... You know, I could I could grade a quarterback as a second round guy, but there's gonna be clubs that take him in the first round. You even see it as fast as like or as far back as like a fourth round graded guy with Paxton Lynch that a team saw the potential in that player and took him in the first round. Uh because John Elway is insane. So <laughs> you know, it's just quarterbacks are always gonna be valued more and yeah. offensive tackles are always gonna be valued more. And I feel like linebackers are starting to get valued a lot more if they're a, a more of a field general, a sideline to sideline rangy guy. And you're just gonna see you're gonna see it switch up a little bit more as the league progresses. Like running backs, Jonathan Taylor is probably a first round pick three years ago, like a top ten pick three years ago. And I would be surprised if he was taken in the first round this year. It's just yeah. it's a different positional value is very important and so when you look at big boards it's not going to go that way yeah and like you mentioned the isaiah simmons thing like isaiah simmons uh is second for jason and third for me and you know everybody says well he's not going to be there at six i think it's possible that he's he falls to like nine or ten similar to what derwin james did just because of the positional value there i don't think it'll happen but it wouldn't surprise me if he, he fell out of the top 10 and and someone like the Raiders just have happened to take a chance on him at 12. Ugh. So yeah, that felt gross saying that. Why'd you say the Raiders? Why didn't you say the Jaguars? I should have said the Jaguars. I'm sorry. I apologize. It, um, Jalen Johnson was interviewed. I love Jalen Johnson out of Utah. He was interviewed by Matt Miller the other day and he thinks that the Raiders are going to take him. And I think that is just horrendous. I think that would be a heinous crime. Please don't do that. I want all the Utah players to stay away from the Raiders. Like that's just my one goal uh, every year for them. No Utah players to the Raiders, please. Don't want it. This segment is dedicated to the hatred of the Raiders. <laughs> Everybody, please flip off whatever you're listening to us on. The bird. <laughs> screw the Raiders. All right, let's talk about. Yeah, screw the Raiders. <laughs> Sorry, um, we can all get behind that. That's good analysis right there. They're very low on our big board. All right. Let's talk about some players you guys are a little bit lower, maybe a lot lower on. Who knows? 
just give me uh, five guys that you're just you're not seeing it. Maybe you, I mean, maybe you have a day three grade on him, and he's been projected to go in the first round. Who knows? So, uh, Steven, throw a name out there. So this is going to be a guy that Chargers Twitter loves. Uh, it's AJ Dillon, the running back out of Boston College. Um, everyone kind of has been fallen back into the Derrick Henry style, where all he does can just is just run straight, and you're big, and you can run over people. Um, running back is a lot more than that, especially for a team like the Chargers that does a lot of, you know, outside zone scheme and receiving stuff. Like I don't, AJ Dillon is so one dimensional to me and I just don't see it on the tape. So I have him graded as my running back 22 and I gave him a 41. Um, I mentioned him a while back in January as like a potential fit because I thought he would be going in the seventh round and like, I would be okay taking him in the seventh round. But now he's getting third, fourth round hype after he ran a four, five, or whatever it was. Um, I just don't see it. I when I want a running back, I want someone that can play all three downs at minimum, and just like not even have the most versatile skill set, but just like be able to stay on the th- on all three downs. He is not a good receiver. He's not a good blitz picker upper guy. I think he's really bad in <laughs> blitz picker upper. <laughs> That's, that's not like that blitz picker upper. What was that? <laughs> um, if he's good at, it, he's a putter downer. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, um, I just don't see it. I see a guy who is fast, has vertical speed, but I don't see somebody that has good vision. I don't see somebody that can make jump cuts and be a versatile running back in the in the NFL. I think. People have really fallen in love with him, and I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you on A.J. Dillon. I give him a 44. He's my 20th guy. So neither of us very high on A.J. Dillon. And, you know, it's very situational. Like, there's people that want to take him, like, fourth, fifth round. Understand, you'd be wasting a fourth – not wasting, but you would be picking a guy in the fourth or fifth round that would be on the field once a game, twice a game, to run it in a – third and one situation occasionally and in most cases on those third and one situations i think they would rather roll with jackson or eckler who they are more familiar with they have better vision than aj Dillon. i don't like aj Dillon's vision very much Um, i don't either so it's like aj Dillon has a very specific skill set that doesn't even fit the Chargers scheme you know and if you're if you're looking for your melvin gordon replacement it's not him it's a guy like javon leak all right it's it's I know we wouldn't take I know the Chargers wouldn't take him that high, but it's Jonathan Taylor is closer to that. It's mm-hmm. somebody that offers more than just being a third and one guy. And you know, yeah. you go in you go onto the field, think of it this way. You go onto the field in a package with Justin Herbert and AJ Dillon, right? It's third and one, and they stack the box insanely, and now Herbert wants to audible out. Well what what is, is he gonna audible to? Yeah. What's he going to do with A.J. Dillon in the backfield? You went into a heavy package, so you're running with Hunter Henry and you know the XFL guy, Donald Parham, and A.J. Dillon in the backfield, and you got Mike Williams out wide, I'm assuming. Well, normally what they like to do is like hit a running back in the flat there. I wouldn't trust A.J. Dillon with that. And no. so then you're limited there as well. And so I don't think that's worth a fourth, fifth round pick. I was actually on board with A.J. Dillon. I was on board with taking him. When he was like a UDFA slash seventh round guy. And that's when they were talking to him about him like in that spot. 
And now that I see Chargers fans like saying, oh, like I'd even spend a third round or a third through fifth, I'd, eh, you're, no, you're scaring me there. Like he needs a team to draft him like the Titans who have that downhill running back scheme. But that's like three or four teams in the league. Everyone is doing, you know, stretch zone, read option stuff. And that's not A.J. Dillon. Like, you know, we've seen what the Chargers want to do with Tyrod Taylor as far as like pistol read options and um, RPO stuff. And that's not A.J. Dillon. That's Austin Eckler. That's Justin Jackson. You know, there's much better. I'm all for getting like a goal line short yardage compliment in this draft, but it needs to be someone that can also do other things. Like Michael Warren from Cincinnati is a guy I like who can do other things besides just be a big guy. So I I just don't get it with AJ Dillon. All right. So I guess the guy I'm going to talk about here in terms of somebody I'm lower on is going to be CD lamb out of Oklahoma. Now CD lamb, I have him as my ninth receiver in this, in this class. And I just don't see the separation there. I don't. I don't see him being able to run a dig and getting separation from the corner. I saw a lot of crossing routes. I saw a lot of screens, and I saw a lot of scheming him open on like wheel routes and stuff to where you put him in a bunch formation on the inside and have the two guys run crossers and then have him sneak like an outlet on a wheel route, and that's how he would get his targets. And I just... You, you got to be able to show every rep, even when you're not getting thrown the ball, that you can separate, that you can set things up. And C.D. Lamb didn't do that. He wasn't a very consistent. Uh, so you got to separate your speeds on your route. You got to have a speed disparity almost to where there's different different levels to show. Keenan Allen explained it way better than I'm trying to, to where you run every route at 90%. That way, when you begin your like break or something, when you begin your break or you begin your actual fade, you're able to turn it up a gear. And that messes with the corner's mind. Like, is he going full speed? What should I do? How do I adjust to this? And then boom, you hit that gear. And now the corner's left behind and Keenan Allen explains it much better than I do, but that's the CD lamb has a problem with that to where some routes he'll run 50% speed. Some routes he'll run full speed. You got to keep it consistent. That way they never know what route you're running. That way they never know what play's going on. That way you keep their awareness on a swivel. You keep their their head on a swivel of what's going on around me. What's going on with this receiver's feet? You know, how's his hips? What Where's his eyes looking? And um, CeeDee Lamb just lacks a lot of that. Um, you know, playing safety, the first thing you look for in a receiver, like what, what way is he going to run is his eyes. It always gives it away. Is he looking at at the safety that generally means he's going to run a route towards you. Right. And CD lamb would look at kind of where he's going. He wouldn't really do a good job of faking. So that's why CD lamb's a lot lower on my board. He just has a lot of separation issues that I don't think aren't paid attention to enough because he's such a highlight reel. You turn on his highlights and it's unreal. How one, how elusive he is. And two, just how good his 50 50 is like how good his ball tracking is. Um, so I'm lower on CeeDee Lamb. I still give him a, a good grade, uh, 61. But there's so many good receivers in this class that I ranked quite a few over him. Yeah, and this is an important time to bring up where, you know, each person is going to like what they like in certain uh, players in certain positions. So, you know, Jason clearly values the separation aspect of the receiver position. And so someone like CeeDee Lamb, or I know he's really low on T. Higgins too, 
someone that is not going to be able to rely upon the technique of the position instead of just being a good athlete. Um, you know, those guys, they can become uh, great players. You know, we've seen that with like DeAndre Hopkins, where he came into the league where he was just more of a, a 50-50 big ball guy, and now he's one of the best route runners in the league and, and creates separation fine. And um, So I think it is possible that those kind of guys develop, but right now what you're seeing on tape is not matching that. Um, so next one I want to talk about is someone that both Jason and I uh, lowered on our big board upon re-watching him, and that's Mikai Becton, the offensive tackle out of Louisville. Um, so I dropped him to my offensive tackle seven, I gave him a 60, which is still first-round grade. Uh, I know Jason's a little bit lower than that. Um, but his technique is just not very good. Um, you see the spa- the splash blocks where he's just going to blow someone up in the run game, and that's fine. You know, I graded him very high as a run blocker. Um, but as a pass blocker, his technique is not great. Uh, his bend is not there, and he, and he is a very large human being, so I don't, like, blame him for this. But when you see someone standing straight up trying to block someone that's an issue for an offensive lineman and Mikai Becton does it all the time um, his stance gets really wide sometimes his his technique needs to be really refined before I'm comfortable taking him in the top 10 you know a lot of Chargers fans want him to take him at number six uh, I just don't see it I think he is much more of a project than people realize and you know you'll see him dominate you'll see him maul people in the run game but his pass blocking, he's going to have really big challenges coming into the league with all these speed rushers. Like you put on him, put him on an island against Von Miller. Von Miller is going to get 10 sacks a game. You know, he's not going to be able to block speed rushers. He's just not going to. It's going to take him a few years to work into that giant frame where he can really learn that technique. So in 10 years, would I be surprised if Mikai Becton is the best tackle in this class? No. But right now, I think people need to lower their expectations for the immediate impact that Becton would be giving to his uh, future team. I like I like you saying that Von Miller would get ten sacks a game, twenty sacks based on Chargers games alone against Mackay Becton. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, Mackay Becton is absolutely more of a project than I initially thought. I initially, he was my OT one. I hadn't done a lot of homework. I, I sat back and I really waited to do offensive line rankings like thoroughly until I had a better understanding of the position. And so I told Steven after after I kind of figured everything out and was like, all right, I'm good to scout O-linemen, I, I turned on the Mackay Becton tape and I immediately I immediately texted Steven. I was like, nah, <laughs> I, never mind. I was wrong. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, with Mackay Becton, it's going to be very – limiting on what you can do schematically immediately once you draft him and you have him in your starting lineup you're gonna have the issue of well now what do we do with him and I don't mean that in a sense of like where do you put him on the line I mean if you want to run a counter towards him and have him reach out and get to the second level and block you can't really do that right I mean you could yeah but there's a very big chance he whiffs Do you want to boot your quarterback left with him there? No, because then you're talking about him needing to not only pass block, but pass block on the move, which is really bad. So now say you have a left-handed quarterback like Tua and you also have Mekhi Becton. So that's probably a possibility for the Dolphins. I highly doubt the Dolphins would be okay with taking Tua 
or taking Mekhi Becton if they drafted Tua. There's just a lot of limiting things there with Mekhi Becton, where if you think about different scenarios, it's just, it's kind of iffy with him. Yeah. Louisville, they, it was really weird watching him because they would almost do like stretch run plays as their pass sets. Yeah. So Becton doesn't really have a huge amount of true pass sets where he's, you know, kick stepping back and handling the speed rush or handling the the bull rush. It's just a lot. It was a lot of scheme based pass blocking situations. And so Mikai Becton, like, like I said, if, if in 10 years, he's the best tackle in the class, like I wouldn't be surprised, but it's going to take him a while to get there. He needs to go to the right situation. If he goes to Cleveland, he's not going to, he's not going to reach that potential. Like he needs to go somewhere where he has a stable environment, somewhere that's going to have a good run game that can lean on the running game. Like he'd be really good in Tennessee because they want to get oh, yeah. after it. They want to be physical, but they already have uh, Taylor Lewan. So like he needs to go to the right situation more so than any other offensive lineman in this class. Can we, can we please send him somewhere where he's not going to cut block, please? God, oh Louisville, <laughs> I hate you. My Lord. I've never seen a, a, a guy as big as Mekhi Becton cut block. Like, oh, we got an, a behemoth for our left tackle. Let's make him go for their knees. Like, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, it was weird. Um, so I'm going to go similar. I'm going to s- stick with the offensive tackle group, and I'm going to say Josh Jones out of Houston. I really am low on him, and more so than I thought I was going to be. Josh Jones, I just don't see the footwork. I don't see the mechanics. What I see is a Trey Pipkins that has a possibility of going in the first round. That's that's what I'm scared of. I see Trey Pipkins with a first round gr- grade slapped on him for some people. I actually think I actually kind of like Trey Pipkins better. Um, and I wouldn't be mad at Josh Jones in the second round because you're talking about a team like the Chargers that wants to really have off like athletic tackles you know they're they can they're going for this off this athletic type offense with you know scott questenberry who they actually never mind they don't want to play him um <laughs> anyways they want this athletic offensive tackle you can see with trey pipkins and josh jones kind of fits that bill so i could see them taking josh jones as like a developmental guy um he's not going to be a starter though he shouldn't be a starter he might be he shouldn't be uh, not year one. I think it'd take a year or two. So if you're talking about taking him as like, say you sign Jason Peters and you take Josh Jones, well, sweet. Now you have two Trey Pipkins. I mean, I'm that you can get what I'm trying to say here. Josh Jones is Trey Pipkins. He's a toolsy guy that doesn't have the technical refinement despite going to a bigger school. And that really worries me. That really worries me with him. And so if you're talking round two where you're talking about taking an offensive tackle after taking your quarterback, um, I'd rather go with a guy like Ezra Cleveland, Austin Jackson, Isaiah Wilson, you know, Ben Barch. There's a lot of names that I think were, would be more solid. Josh Jones just really scares me because he's, he's going to get taken a lot sooner than Dre Pipkins was. Yeah, I was surprised at his lack of anchor, too. I, I thought that he really struggled against bull rushes. Um, so, I, yeah, I wouldn't hate the pick just like Jason, but, I, you know, I do prefer other players. Um, so the last one that I'm going to talk about here, another one that Chargers Twitter really likes is Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC. Um, 
you know, this kind of speaks to like, I, I like Pittman, um, but this kind of speaks to the depth of the receiver class. I have him as my wide receiver 25 uh, with a grade of 47. And, you know, a lot of people have asked me as a Utah fan, oh, well, he dominated Utah. Well, if you really go and watch that game, um, well, first of all, Utah refuses to let their best corner shadow the opposing best receiver. Like Jalen Johnson never shadowed anyone. Um, that wasn't because he didn't want to. That's because Utah refuses to do it. They just believe in their guys that much and say, you're going to go make a play. And so I described this situation to Tyler. Their other corner opposite of Jalen Johnson situation was very similar to like Mike Davis and Brandon Faison. Like they would rotate this guy who was a better athlete in coverage with a guy who was a better tackler. And so the game against USC, the guy who was better in coverage was hurt. So they basically had Michael Pittman against Brandon Faison all game. And their game plan was, we're going to send Michael Pittman deep on a fade, and we're just going to throw a jump ball and see what happens. And it happened to work out that Pittman came down with the jump balls that game. So uh, if you really watch the film of that game, like I just, I'm not super impressed with Michael Pittman Jr. And I despise the fit of him being on the Chargers. The Chargers do not need another jump ball guy. And I think Mike Williams is a better jump ball guy than Michael Pittman is. So I have Michael Pittman graded really low. I don't think he can do very much besides jump balls. Like I watched him run slants and I watched him run crossers. His separation isn't very good. His release isn't very good. He's just big and tall and can jump high. So I I really don't understand why Chargers fans are so in love with Michael Pittman. I just think it's because he played at USC, I guess. Um but that's the the other player that I'm really low on. Yeah, definitely not as high on Michael Pittman as as a lot of people are. He's uh, I see him as a between the hashes guy, kind of where you have him in the slot sometimes running, you know, hitches or curls or digs, and you throw it to him in between the hashes, you know, and that's about where I think his skill set ends. I don't think he's a deep threat. I don't think he's a very good route runner. I think he has some some special skills there to where like not special but he has a couple moves in his arsenal that help him get open uh mainly like double moves uh he does struggle to sink his hips on those double moves he has trouble with um i think he has a little trouble with really selling whether he's going inside or out i think it's more rounds out his routes a little too much for my taste uh my guy is going to be a little, I mean, he's met with the Chargers. Steven's going to get mad at me. Oh, no. Is Lecky Fotu. No. My I guy am, Lecky. No. I am just not a fan of Lecky Fotu. He's just, I mean, I love him as a run support guy. I really do. Uh, I gave him a 41. Oh, my gosh. All 41 of those points are dedicated to run defense because I give him like a zero when it comes to rushing. I just, you know, he's got potential there. He's a powerful dude, really powerful dude. I think he's more like a, a mid-round Vita Vea, you know, where he doesn't yeah. offer the most as a as a pass rusher at all, actually as a pass rusher. Um, but he does have he does have the ability to stop the run. He's a powerful guy. And so you want somebody to anchor the middle of your line, he's good. I've seen him mocked in the second round a few times lately and i'm just that's, that's rich even for me uh, i I'd, I'd take him in like the sixth oh all my right gosh i'm sorry steven i had that to hurts. he's just you know it's just he's not he doesn't offer enough at an important 
you know, we've talked about this, the position of value and nose tackles and run stopping D tackles just aren't it anymore. You know, it's more like these guys are a dime a dozen. You can, you know, sign your Sylvester Williams in the middle of the season to stop the run. You can't go sign Aaron Donald mid season, which again, isn't bad. It's a bad like example. No, but just like you, the pass rushing standpoint. I get it. Yeah. You, you can't sign a pass rushing D tackle like Quentin Jefferson. There we go. That's better in the middle of the season you can go sign your Sylvester Williams in the middle of the season. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that, that one hurt. I'm sorry. I love Lucky Man. It's okay. You know, I totally get what you're saying because he's he's not a great pass rusher. He doesn't really have much to his arsenal. He just bull rushes guys, which is fine. Um, so let's move on to guys that we are higher on. Um, we're running a little bit long here, but that's okay. Uh, the first guy I'm going to talk about, we've mentioned him already. Uh, that's Ezra Cleveland, the offensive tackle out of Boise State. Uh, I gave him a grade of 63. I have him ranked as my offensive tackle number five. Uh, I just I just love Cleveland's game, man. And he, you know, everyone's going to say, well, he played in the Mountain West. And, you know, that just doesn't, you scout the player, not the helmet. And I just love Ezra Cleveland's game. He's mobile. He's got great feet. He's got great hand technique. Uh, he's very physical at the point of attack. I think he's very well-rounded. And honestly, I think it would be a great fit for the Chargers uh, left tackle position. And if they got him at 37, I'd be thrilled. Uh, I just, I love watching his tape again. You know, he is so skilled technically. He's so versatile athletically. Um, He has great bend. He's got a great anchor. I love Ezra Cleveland. So yeah, we're, we're both pretty high on Ezra Cleveland. He's also my offensive tackle five. And, you know, we were talking about a toolsy player with Josh Jones, who I'm low on. The difference with Ezra Cleveland is he's a lot more technically refined, I think. Now, yep, the knock on absolutely. Cleveland is going to be his strength. You know, he's going to get beat up by some bull rushers. But out at tackle, you're not going to see that too often. It was normally like, uh, you know, interior moves where they're just they're just running straight at him and putting their their pad level down and he would have he would struggle to match that at times and so with Ezra Cleveland you're going to see that as a little bit of a struggle I'm going to switch over to receiver here and I'm going to say DPJ Donovan Peoples Jones out of Michigan I love Donovan Donovan Peoples Jones he is so good such an athletic player I've compared him to Odell Beckham before look you're gonna you're going to get a very athletic receiver here with all the tools and let's poke fun a little bit and go to quarterbacks uh, and uh, players that we are not <laughs> high on is Shea Patterson, who I believe oh, I gave man. a 21. Yep. 21 look, guys. Look guys, if you want to hate life, I suggest you go watch Shea Patterson. <laughs> and um, if you're just extremely bored and you're feeling very self-conscious I suggest you go watch Shea Patterson. You'll feel better about your life, I swear. And <laughs> Donovan Peoples-Jones actually showed a lot of tools, like a lot. Uh, any situation, you know, he had good eyes. What I mean by that, I've mentioned it before, where you don't give away your route. You sell outside when you go in. You sell inside when you go out. He sinks his hips on double moves. Um, very good at tracking the ball. So he was he was not used on fade routes enough in the in the red zone or he was not used like not used in the deep game nearly at all but he showed really good ball tracking when they did give him the opportunities i really like dpj and um i just want an excuse to say dpj on the chargers because that sounds awesome okay 
think about it, DPJ for the touchdown. He's, he's such Beautiful. a good fit too. He's, he is. He's a very you know. versatile receiver. You can play him inside out. Um, I think he offers a little bit more in the slot just because it gives him a little more work to work with. But with Keenan Allen on the team, you know, he'd probably be more outside than inside. But which is a key thing here. You want a receiver that can play everywhere. That way it gives Keenan Allen more of an opportunity to move. It gives Mike Williams more of a – you want mismatches in today's NFL. You want more as many yeah. mismatches as possible. And so Donovan Peoples-Jones gives you that. And so I'm a lot higher on him than I think the, the media generally is. Uh, he's in my top five. And so just I love the thought of DPJ in a Chargers uniform playing alongside Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. It would be such a good trio. And sure, he doesn't have the production. I've had some people tell me that you normally when a receiver doesn't produce in college, they don't produce at the NFL. Listen, listen, not every receiver has Shea Patterson as their quarterback, okay? I had <laughs> a guy named Roland Rivers the third. You don't know who that is. I promise you don't know who that is. I had him ranked higher than Shea Patterson, okay? Um, it's just, you know, it's when bad. you show that many tools despite bad quarterback play, I'll trust you. All right? I'll trust it. Yeah. You take an athlete like Donovan Peoples-Jones and you put him even at Utah State or Wyoming, like he would have been a much better player than people think. If you put him at Ohio State, he's a first-round pick. Like his – athleticism his versatility is all over the map he returns kicks he returns punts he's just a great player to put the ball in his hands and you just let him make plays so i you know a lot of people on chargers twitter talk about like lynn bowden and and antonio gibson and how good of a fit they would be like donovan people's jones would be that same type of player that you can get the ball in his hands and let him make plays and i would love that fit good returner as well Mm mm-hmm so the next one I'm going to talk about here is going to be Akeem Davis Gaither, the linebacker from Appalachian State. Uh, I was kind of late on this hype train. Uh, fortunately, I'm, I'm on it now. I'm firmly on it. I graded him with a 61 first-round grade and have him as my linebacker three. Uh, this is an important distinction because we both have Isaiah Simmons as a safety, not a linebacker. Um, but he is just an, a great athlete. And he's great at every single aspect of the linebacker position. You want to put him on the edge and rush pa- and rush the passer? He's great. You want to put him in the run support game? He's great. Put him in pass coverage? He's great. Sideline to sideline? He's great. He has great range. He's just an amazing player. He was so much fun to watch on tape. Um, Appalachian State had some dudes this year. Like They really were a great team this year. Um, Darrington Evans, Evans, who we had on uh, last episode, is another guy I really like. Um, but Akeem Davis Gaither, like you put him in this Chargers linebacker corpse and you get the best athlete they've had in a long time at the position, uh, probably at the will position. And he just plays sideline to sideline. He's a really good pass rusher. You know, he's very versatile. Some people think that he could play, even play safety in a, in the right situation. Uh, so Akeem Davis Gaither, love him, love his tape, would be a great fit for the Chargers. I just want an excuse to talk about him so because I missed out because we already did our quarterbacks revisited and I didn't find this guy until after. And there's a couple quarterbacks I really like that I found and I'm so upset. I'm so upset. Um, so I'm going to mix them together a little bit here. I'm going to talk about two. I'm going to kind of cheat here. The first is James Morgan out of FIU. And the second one is Nick Tiano. Guess who Nick Tiano is. Let's take, let's take a couple guesses. Where is Nick Tiano from guys? Uh, Yale. Um, I don't know. Western Colorado. 
All right. Some good guesses there. He's from Chattanooga. I really like Nick Tiano, actually. And, you know, both him and James Morgan are guys that may not have the best arms, but they have NFL potential arms. And I'm not saying they'll come out and be like starter potential, but they do have the potential to be in the NFL, whether it's a backup or a low tier starter role. I like both of these guys. Um, both have good size at 6'4". And the thing I like about James Morgan a lot, despite playing at FIU, he had an insane processor and he was very aware of the situation around him at all times. Pretty accurate arm, throws with a lot of anticipation. And he was tied with Tyler Huntley as my QB5. So all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, this guy flew up my board. Um, and just, it really surprised me just how advanced he is for the level of play. And that's why you got to scout the player, not the helmet, right? You don't expect looking at a quarterback out of FIU that he's going to be your top five quarterback this year, but this guy has it. James Morgan is not the most athletic player, but he offers enough athleticism to get the job done. I don't think he's like Jake Fromslow, but man, James Morgan, if you haven't watched his tape, I suggest you go watch it. He's a lot of fun to watch. Nick Tiano, good luck finding tape on him. It was really hard for me to find tape on him. But he's a he's a fun quarterback as well, and they they bumped down a couple of my favorite quarterbacks in this draft, and I'm a little upset that I didn't get to him before the quarterback revisit. So that was my little opportunity right there to kind of showcase him. Good work, you know James Morgan. I think he's rising up some boards. Apparently, he's been uh, crushing the interview process, so uh, I'd like him as well. Um, the next guy I want to talk about here is Amik Robertson, the corner out of Louisiana Tech. Um, he has an overall grade of 55 for me and is my corner 11. Um, I think he's a little bit undersized. I think he probably plays nickel in the NFL. Um, but, man, the dude just has a nose for the football. Like He really reminds me of Tyron Matthew, just always making plays, always causing turnovers. Um, I think Tyron's a, a much better athlete, and I think he's a little bit bigger. Um But you talk about a corner that can cause turnovers. He had 14 career interceptions at Louisiana Tech. He was causing fumbles all the time. Uh, He was just fun to watch. And I think, you know, in the Chargers situation, I don't know if he would be a very good fit. I mean, he would be able to sit and learn behind Chris Harris, which would be a good situation for him. Um, But selfishly, I want him to go to to a team where he would be able to start and you know, he's just a feisty corner and something I, I I personally really value in my corners is someone who can just really get after it, both in the run game and the pass game. Uh, you hear so time, so many times and so often the dog mentality, like that's what I want my corners to do. I want my corners to be that alpha dog, that mentality where they're just going to go after it and get and make plays. And that's Amik Robertson for me. Um, I think he probably ends up going on day three, but Man, he was really fun to watch, and I really uh, had a great time watching him on tape. All right, last guy I'm going to talk about here is Isaiah Coulter out of Rhode Island. And so wide receiver is kind of my bread and butter. That's the thing I feel like I'm most comfortable scouting. Um, I have a pretty good understanding of the position, whereas offensive tackle, it took me like 14 hours of study to even get like a basic understanding of it. I've never played offensive line, so it was a new territory for me. And... um Receiver, I just I feel like it's my bread and butter. I can go back to it and I can scout it and understand pretty quickly what a receiver can and can't do, what they offer and what they what they don't. And Isaiah Coulter is somebody with a pretty good a pretty good catch radius. And 
you watch his quarterback. Sometimes the quarterback would kind of sling it a little. How's the best way to put it? Out of control. And Isaiah Coulter would still reach out and grab it. Now, Isaiah Coulter is a good route runner. He sets up stuff with his hips and eyes very well. He's very good at sinking those hips and getting inside or outside. Um, I think he's a little better at inside routes. Um, Pretty quick feet, but they could be a little bit quicker. And I think he needs to be able to use that frame a little bit better, be able to set his base and, for example, on a curl route to be able to put himself in a position to keep the corner away from making the play. I think he needs to get a little bit better at that. When you're talking about a guy that is maybe an undrafted guy, you're going to have your problems with him. Uh, To me, I think he's worth like a third. I'd be okay with taking him in the third. So that's, that's where the difference is for me. I'm okay with taking him in the middle rounds. Whereas I think I haven't even seen him sometimes in the, in the seventh, he's still available. So for me, Isaiah Coulter just offers a lot as a, as a slot guy going in between the hashes and stuff like that. He does have a good speed, so he can play outside. I think he has outside speed. Uh, had a good combine, if I remember right. And the thing to know about Isaiah Coulter is he just has really smooth hands. All right, it's, If it's in his catch radius, he's generally going to come down with it. And um, he's not going to make anything spectacular, like a one-handed grab or anything like that. But he is going to be a solid receiver. He does know how to, he knows how to catch the football. I know it's kind of simple to say, but you just don't see him drop it. And so that's the last guy I'm going to talk about. I'm really high on Isaiah Coulter. I think he could be the deep threat the Chargers are looking for as well. He has a pretty good 40 time. All right, that's it for today. Thanks again for Ty Long for the interview. On Tuesday, we'll have a bit of a debate going between these guys uh, regarding players that they're very different on. So that'll be really interesting. Jason and Steven, you know what to do. So find me, Steven I. Hagland and GAC Pocket 17. And uh, make sure and keep an eye out for my breakdown on Jedrick Wills on our Patreon account. Uh, I'll be trying to get that up hopefully tonight after this recording, but probably tomorrow. And you could find me at Centauri13 on Twitter if you want to critique my grammar. <laughs> Hashtag love at six. We've been trying. All right. This is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon. My grammar's not great, but I'll try my best. We'll see you guys on Tuesday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.